Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Morning, everyone. Welcome to the To The Point Podcast, Episode 123, Part 2, with Travis Howerton, where we continue taking a look at the Picasso of Cybertechs that have only just begun. Uh, Very exciting. I'm Rachel Lyon here with host Eric Trexler, and let's get to the point. Yeah, I've always stated it, Rachel, is why drop $10 billion on an aircraft carrier if uh, you can spend a couple hundred thousand dollars and and take the power grid offline for our country, right? It's, it's, It's not a yeah. You know, there's not a lot of symmetry there in cost and time and everything else, but At all. the advantage is gone to the attacker. Absolutely. Well, and that's a good point on critical infrastructure, too. And I can't remember if it was the water treatment plant, but some of these facilities are running very old, you know, versions of Windows OS, let's say, mm. uh, you know, and again, it gets to your point about modernization. I mean, this seems like a very dire threat, but are, are we dealing with it as if it is dire? Or are we just waiting for some major catastrophic event to happen. I think the nature of our system is people don't deal with it until the catastrophic event happens. Yeah. Right. Because you've got so many bad things that could happen. Um, now you look at solar winds, people have been talking about supply chain security for a very, very long time. It's and we've seen it. Travis on a podcast with a new thought here. <laughs> yeah. This has been going on for a very long time in very sensitive circles where We've known this sort of nightmare scenario could happen, but it never did. Right. Right. Or at least we were never aware of it. And now you see the scale and sophistication of it and you're fighting, you know, kind of behind the eight ball there um, where you're in trouble when you when you start. I think it's the same thing on grid. I think it's the same thing. And uh, uh, medical, there's there's so many holes and it's so deep and would cost so much money to get out of that until the bad thing happens, people don't take it as seriously as they should. Right. And then the the other thing that keeps me up at night on this is even if everybody did take it seriously, and let's say a trillion dollars fell from the sky, right, and we got a new trillion dollar cyber plan coming out of the government that said we're going to modernize everything, there's not enough skill set in this country to actually do it, right? Right. So you have the the investment side, but then you've got the expertise side as well. And anybody who's tried to hire cyber talent in the last ten years knows yeah. how hard that is. Right. So um, even if there was the capacity to invest, the skill sets would have to ramp up and it's going to take a while for the education system and the workforce to catch up. Right. Well, and that's where standards and education and automation come into play. Right. My opinion here, you've got to up level the talent or or what the you've got to up level what the talent you have is working on while you're bringing more talent in. Mm -hmm. But you've got to make things easier. Yeah. Well, is, yep. what is the answer, though? I mean, I've heard, you know, some some debate. Do we just take everything offline? Right. Because if it's connected to the Internet, then it's then it's a vulnerability. I mean, do we just go all the way back to the Stone Age uh, and do everything manually? The future will always be a yeah. loser. Yeah. You know, the future is a yeah, connected agreed. world. and it's, right. it's inevitable. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so you can fight it. Um, I had a mentor who taught me the best plan. Start with the truth. Yeah. And it's stuck I with like me that. everywhere. You like can it. accept it now or you can accept it later. It'll still be the truth. Right. Yeah, um, except reality. Yeah. And so the truth is we live in a connected world that's getting more connected every day. Right. But I think there's things that can be done 
what's going on with sort of distributed VPNs and access. I think Zscaler was an innovator there of rethinking how the world should connect to itself in a more secure and distributed way. I think zero trust things where identity management's the new firewall. Um, uh, you can't just put things behind your firewall and I'm good now. We're not talking to anybody. Everybody's talking to everybody about everything across a plethora of devices, right? So focusing on identity, micro segmentation and zero trust. I think the challenge is how do you overcome the technical debt we spent 20, 30 years building what we have, and there's trillions of dollars that have gone into these infrastructures across all these companies. How do you get to a zero trust cloud world um, where you're in a much better security posture? Um, uh, I think is, a, is is the trick. And so some of the things we're doing with DevOps, uh, lowering costs, um, automating everything, uh, to Eric's point, making things simpler. Um, the stuff I do now in computer science is so much easier than the stuff I did 20 years ago because right. we all stand on the shoulder of giants. I'm not writing compilers and moving things into registers, you know, anymore by hand. You know, everything's sort of layers. So I think right. the more that we can move up those layers and make this stuff simpler, um, a good example of that for me is Kubernetes. We've been a huge shop there. Just everything being isolated from everything, auto scaling, easier to manage um, is really just kind of the future. Mm -hmm. And so the more skill sets you can get of people who understand that, the less hands on keyboard you have to do to worry about all those nitty gritty details that you used to have to set up in the past. So I, I think there's there's promise. So every time there's fear, there's also opportunity. Right. And so, you know, what encourages me is our ability to innovate at scale as a country and a society, we, we tend to rise up and solve some of these challenges. So I think it's going to take some innovation and some uh, new technology and some workforce development to kind of get to where ultimately we all want to be. When I think awareness is increasing, I mean, if, if you go back five years, even you know, a decade, five years, and you went to one of our parents and said, Travis, I don't know, you, you may have a PhD in comp sci as a father or a mother, but, uh, yep. Or you may, Rachel. I, I did not. But if you went back to them and you talked about cybersecurity, InfoSec, they wouldn't even know what you were talking about. There was no awareness. Right now, they're aware of the Nigerian print scam. They're they're scared that the hospital could be impacted. So as awareness increases, the population is is better prepared in some manner for these types of attacks and what could happen. Not that we're doing enough. I fully. Agree. I think what you said, Travis, was, 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 was great, actually. But we're getting more societal awareness, I would say, which will eventually lead us to understanding there's a problem, acknowledging the problem, and then trying to fix the problems. Yeah. And, and the part that worries me is when do we get around to trying to fix it? Yeah. Because the other side of this with awareness and inaction comes conditioning. Right. Because if you think back to all the different attacks that have happened, the OPM one was a big one. Yes. The target one was a big one um, there. You can go down the list there. There's one or two or three huge ones every year where Not you just in the Ukraine was massive. Exactly. You just sit back and go, well, that sucked. But it's no different than sort of mass casualty events with guns. Right. You kind of get conditioned that they're going to happen every so often. Nobody accepts it. Nobody wants it. But we're also unable to do anything about it as a consensus. Right. And so some of what we talked about earlier is everybody knows we need to do something on cyber. 
everybody knows we need to do something on gun violence, but what's that great, where's the line? Nobody agrees. Right. And so it, it moves and there's lots of opinion and it's very difficult to figure out sort of the deterrence angle and where a line should be and what we're willing to accept and what we're not. Well, there's um, no easy answer. And, and we're not even take nation state attacks, take, take attacks off the table. I mean, imagine somebody making a, just a casual mistake that, that destroys a component of the energy grid. Yep. Like that could be catastrophic, not yeah. due to malice, but just due to an unintentional mistake. How do we protect ourselves is really one of the big questions we need to, we need to address. Yeah. And it, it's not always easy in attribution. Like it is like, if you shoot a gun at me, Eric, I know you shot a gun at me. Right. And it's very easy to attribute my hostile intent and where it should now go. It's not so easy in cyberspace. If you can even prove who it is. And even when you can prove who it is, how do you prove fault? Right. So if you go back and look at some of the NSA toolkits that were released, whose fault is that if they're actively exploiting things in the wild with those toolkits? Right. It, the attribution is just a mess in some of that. So attribution's hard. Drawing the lines is hard. Nobody's happy with where it's at. Nobody has consensus on what to do about it. Right. It's just uh, everything's connected. Um, a lot of this stuff is unacceptable, but, you know, we don't have that same line that we do in other engagements where if you do this, you're going to receive a kinetic response, which is a very strong deterrent from the U.S. perspective, because we got the most powerful military in the world. Right. But where where does that where does that response get involved, I think, is a very blurry line that nobody understands, including our our politicians and leaders, unfortunately. Travis, I might argue with you. Yeah. Oh, really? Well, no, I just from everything I'm seeing, that seems to be it's risen up again as a big point of debate. You know, the Biden administration wants to focus a lot on cyber and there's a lot of discussion of the offensive defensive strategies and and what's the right play there. And, and I think it's a very complicated, you know, and and to your point, when we talked earlier, depending on the country that could also determine kind of what that level of response, you know, offensive defensive would be, Um, you know, how do you map that out in, 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 cause a guy, no government likes, right. We talked about this last time, Eric, black and white you know, like very specific language, you know, if then this, Um, you know, so how do you, how do you map that out and address it, uh, particularly in a global scale with something that's changing so quickly. And then there's the innovation piece, right? That is very difficult. I think you said what cyber puts no in innovation, (laughs) Um, but it's, that's also the piece of it, the the yin and the yang of the two, so to speak. And it's not an easy answer. That's my dog. Yeah, it's a tough one. And I, Playing off of that, Rachel, I, w- I was going to disagree with you slightly, Travis. I think the nation states like in North Korea, um, China, maybe even, and some of the ones that have little to lose, they like the rule set the way it is right now, w- open Wild West. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, uh, the, the, the hackers out there that are going for financial gain and, and creating zero days or, or using ransomware to make millions of dollars a year, I think they love it right now that it's kind of a lawless no rules, no, no low consequence environment to operate in. I think it's a great place to be. It's like walking into stores, you know, without any security, knowing you can yeah. take something and probably not get thrown into jail. It's, it's a great place to be for them. Yes. But right. But so when, what I see a lot of them doing is, is they probe, right? Like I pushed it this far. 
What was the consequence? Nothing. What was the benefit? A lot. A little more. All right. Now let's push a little more. Now let's push a little more. And so, you know, you all the way up to interfering in U.S. elections. What was the consequence of that? Right. Um, the solar winds attack, basically taking over most of the private sector and government agencies in the country's networks. What was the consequence of that? So you, what you see people doing is sort of pushing the boundaries. And if the benefits higher than the pain, they're going to continue to do that. Um, and so I, I think we got to figure that out. It's not that people, there are people way smarter than me thinking about this, right? It's just, it's very situational, almost like any other battle plan you would draw up, you know, Agreed. Well, how big a threat was it? How big a threat, threat are they to us? How mm-hmm. rapidly could this escalate? Is it worth it? Right. Um, you know, all those sorts of things go into each one of these decisions, but I've seen stuff on uh, uh, the Trump administration did a lot more to like empower cyber offensive folks, right? Um, on the deterrent side, so I, I think people are thinking through this problem, but it's very nuanced, yeah. right? Well, I there's, think it also there's not, a, there's not a road answer, right? right. It, it's no. every situation's got to be weighed, pros and cons, and a commensurate response given. And that being said, you know, this on this call, we can't talk about everything our government does. But just because you don't see a response doesn't mean there wasn't one. Right. Right. We don't necessarily talk about everything we do. Uh, messages can be sent other ways. Well, it'd be nice to see the outcome with a decrease in the in the, in the amount of espionage and sabotage and, and attacks out there. Yeah, it's one of those. There should be global norms around this. But unfortunately, the global norm is now to hack and steal. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, if it because it's an asymmetric advantage, if you're in a poor country, um, what's your best opportunity to get ahead? Right. If you can't afford the R&D, you can't afford all these things. You'll take it. Um, right. It's easier to just steal it. Right. And jump ahead of the line than it is necessarily to to do the other part. Right. And so you see even in large countries, some of these large countries are still developing like um, th- there's still huge swaths of those countries that. Uh, are very poor and economically disadvantaged. So they don't have the money to put into these problems some of the wealthier nations have. Well, and the and the advantage that the United States has over a small country as far as IP is great, right? A small country can't go up against the United States. But think about talking about that asymmetric advantage. If they just flip it around, they can go up against Pfizer or Moderna or a company in the United States, Sony, yep. and then they have the power. They have the capability. So it depends on how you you frame the world in some ways, too. It's it's this cyber thing is a really hard problem. Yeah. One person with a keyboard can be more powerful than 100 in another country if they know what they're doing and they're clever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's an asymmetric advantage is what makes it a, a nasty playground and something to worry about. Yeah. What is good it that times, they say? Rachel? I know it's, I was thinking that someone uh, had said, you know, hackers don't break in, they log in. <laughs> yep. you know, yeah. And, and it, it's really gotten in some ways that simple. And, and, you know, looking at the global stage and you do have, you know, some of these larger countries that actually have, you know, government organizations dedicated to, you know, cyber attacks. And, and are we going to see more of that uh, across, you know, more developing nations as the years go ahead? I mean, does that become, you know, how I guess uh, cyber wars are fought, you know, by by having these part of actual government organizations. Uh, I think you see it already today. Um, most of them already have a capability. Almost all of them are trying to grow it. 
And even in small countries with dysfunctional governments where maybe it's not invested in in that way, you'll see organized crime type organizations mm-hmm. that develop their own capabilities in that space or where, they, where they're less interested in traditional espionage and more in monetization. Right. Right. Holding things ransomware, those sorts of things are, are growing threat landscape as well. So even in very poor countries, um, if you get a couple of people together with computers, you can hold some big places hostages. Uh, hostage if you know what you're doing. Yeah, ransomware is a, a big game right now. And uh, we were talking about, uh, there's an article I read about a company that had been hit by a ransomware gang, you know, paid, you know, million in Bitcoin, um, didn't patch up the vulnerability in, in two weeks. And the gang came back and, and took the yeah. data again, <laughs> and they paid millions in Bitcoin again. Um, you know, and it's- yeah. Well, the ransom- bank's vault door is open. Why not keep coming back? <laughs> Well, exactly. I mean, that, that's confusing in itself. But, you know, then you see what is Department of Treasury. Um, you know, you could be fined if you pay ransomware. And, and a lot of organizations struggle. You know, what is what is the cost calculus, right, for me paying versus not paying? And then, you know, now you have this additional complication of, well, without knowing attribution, if I pay and they happen to be on this list, well, then I'm going to get fined. So then do I just not report that I was attacked? I mean, this starts to get more and more complicated here. It, it does. And you don't get necessarily real good guidance from federal officials on what to do. Sometimes they'll say the best thing you can do is pay it. Other times they say never pay it no matter what. At the end of the day, it's a risk decision, right? Of There's nothing that says, I mean, they're criminals. At the moment they hijacked your data, they became criminals. So there's nothing that says criminals will honor their word if you make the payment or that they won't just come back and do it to you again, right? Right. Um, so it, it's... Uh, it's a nasty sort of attack. Um, ransomware is a scary one because they're not just stealing it. They're taking away your access to your own information. Exactly. And if you don't pay, they leak it to, to try to make you pay. So now they're getting you both Correct. ways. Yeah. Uh, no easy answers, Eric, on this one. There aren't. I, I, before we wrap up, I want to ask Travis, the operational technology environment, the OT environment, what do you see as, as the future there? I mean, are, are we going to invest more in securing it? Do you think it'll continue as is based on your extensive background? What do you see happening and what do you think should happen? I think you're going to move much more into an IOT kind of world where everything's connected. Um, but I think you're going to see a lot more edge computing in that space um, uh, versus more of the distributed. And then I think the Z scalers of the world with the distributed VPNs can take that data that's processed locally get it somewhere central where you can make decisions and do other things. Um, but I think the world of air gaps is dying, you know, mm-hmm. kind of started my past life. You know, you take them off the internet, you put some VDI jump servers in front of them and two factor authentication. and You're good because um, it, it's uh, not on the internet, but there are ways as we've seen to jump air gaps. And the reality is I think the economics uh, of the IOT world will override some of those fears. Right. Where uh, okay. they're going to become connected like everything else. Um, and so, you so see, like, uh, PLCs, I just think the architecture has to change. You, you see PLCs on a windmill or something being connected almost in a similar fashion to Nest thermostats in the home. Kind of. But I, I think it's going to be more edge where you're going to have a bunch of windmills or a large farm or arrays okay. of things that are connected to some edge computing that's got a micro VPN back 
to some cloud storage where they're doing processing okay. the data at scale, right? But I think everything's going to become connected um, because the the value of understanding that data and taking actions, right. you're going to be Overrides. able to monetize that when you're good at it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, but I don't see, just to be clear, they're going to take the grid and just say, put it on the internet, nothing bad will happen. <laughs> I think they'll they'll take it to the edge. They'll, yeah. they'll have some aggregation at the edge and then a connection back to some sort of cloud processing is I think where a lot of this is going in the future. Okay, got it. So almost almost like in a uh, in a classified environment, send your encrypted data where you need it to go, protect it, mm-hmm. limit the accessibility to that windmill farm, if you will, but get yep. the information out or in, depending on what you're trying to do. Management and control would be in reporting any kind of data collection analysis out, that type of thing, but limit it. Yep. And and it's no different than what the government's tried to do with tick or what they do with point to point classified encryptors. You know, that techniques existed for a long time, but this ability to get a lot of compute at the edge to aggregate the data and then put it in some sort of central cloud store where you can make sense of huge volumes of data or learn from it or to, I think the uh, that's where everything's going in an AI ML world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's inevitable. Uh, there's but there's secure ways to do it. Okay, got it. Interesting. Yeah. Can I? I would love to ask kind of a closing question, if if I could, Eric, because I'm fascinated sure. here, Travis, given your front row seat and you know working in windless, windowless rooms for government organizations. Um, you know, next five to ten years. You know, what is what is an emerging threat or, you know, what is something coming that we haven't even thought of yet or that the inklings are here today, but we better start thinking about it because it could be quite devastating. And the one, if you take a long-term view, the one that's most worrisome is probably quantum Mm -hmm. Um, because quantum computers can basically eat all the encryption that exists in the world today. Right. So if you look at a world where you have no privacy whatsoever in a quantum world, I think the race to who gets quantum first um, and can break keys like that. Um, And it takes a whole other level of sophistication to uh, uh, basically handle that for sensitive data. So I think that's the next sort of arms race is around quantum. Whichever country figures that out first will basically know the secrets of all the other countries. Um, so, uh, I think that's the next frontier in the cyber war. Interesting. We talked about that on the Steve Grobin episode. I don't know the number, Rachel, mm-hmm. but you know, I've talked to a lot of people about quantum and they're like, yeah, we've got to get there first. What people don't understand is if you're capturing encrypted data now, even though you can't decrypt it now, once quantum computing comes along, you Correct. will now have the ability, the, the, the capability to decrypt it, those past communications that, that you stored that you couldn't read at the time. And, and yep. that's a real threat. It's just not understanding what's, you know, go forward, but it's also looking at what you had from the past. Quantum will open right. up a whole new world for us. And, and Travis, so I, I'd agree with you that the, the company, that the country that gets it first has a distinct advantage, but the next country and the next one after that, they also have the ability to rapidly catch up because of that capability. Uh, potentially, yeah. there's a window, right? Um, yeah. So if you've, which it was the uh, Nazi show on uh, Amazon, it depends on who gets it. Are you talking, um, uh, and, yeah, the uh, Philip, uh, 
I can't think of it now either. I, I'm with you. Go ahead. Yeah, then. it's the man, the hot tower, or something yeah, like yes, that. Yes. But basically, it replays a world where Germany got the bomb first. Right. And so you don't need a lot of runtime advantage if the wrong country gets it first. Right. They can use it if uh, they were so inclined to have to take that advantage uh, uh, to basically scale out. Um, the U.S. is probably the only country in the history of the world that would have a weapon that could force every country to surrender to us and not take advantage of it. Um, there's a lot of countries that would not be so kind. Interesting bringing that nuclear history or background into play there. Yep. Yeah, I'd agree with you. So, so from a quantum perspective, get there first for a, from a U.S. angle of view, point of view, because we would have it so we could protect ourselves. And if we don't use it, assuming we don't like we didn't nuclear weapons, we would be back into mutually assured destruction or some some level playing field, if you will. Yeah, there's also encryption techniques that are completely resistant to that, some of which also use quantum mechanics. Right. So I think okay. it's it's attack and defend. You invest in things, and there's a lot of good that's going to come out of quantum, and it's going to solve all sorts of medical things that are too computationally intense. It's going to be good for the world, but it could also destroy the world, right? right. Sort of the same thing with nuclear. It yeah. could give you unlimited power that's clean forever, or it could end the Earth. Right. right. That's sort of the spectrum it lives on. Quantum's kind of the same thing. So I think it's a combination of focusing on the capabilities we need for the country and, and the advantages it gives, but also the defense side of making sure critical infrastructure can protect itself in a quantum world. So if we don't get there first, we're not completely vulnerable, at least in these certain key industries where that matters. Yeah. Are we investing enough? You know, we never are in those spaces, right? It's the nature of government. You invest in whatever the fire of the day is and the mm -hmm. politics of the day. People don't worry about those problems downstream. It seems like we've lost our ability in the modern news cycle to worry about strategic problems as a country in a way we mm -hmm. used to. Will we be there first? Time will tell. You know, it's, it's, it's really a two-horse race, probably. Yeah. Us in China, right? Correct. And so the, uh, they have a lot of advantages in the no privacy, the most data, the least rules that impede them. Um, they don't have our innovation ecosystem. Um, but they may uh, have our IP. Yep. Right. And so there's, there's a, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You can make a strong argument on both sides, but they have a lot of structural advantages. And you think this is five to 10 years? They said five to 10 years ago, back in 2015, right? I think, right. I think it's a hard problem, but it is a solvable problem, right? And so it's just a matter of time. Same thing with some of the clean energy technologies and solar. You know, at some point as a society, we'll figure that out and it'll be transformative. And whoever does it first is going to make a lot of money. Right. Um, so it's, uh, uh, I think it's the same sort of thing. It's inevitable. Um, I'm not, uh, I don't live in Vegas and I don't know that I can over under that with any credibility um, no to, to settle on. <laughs> well, great conversation today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great. I appreciate you guys having me on. It's been great getting to know yeah. you guys and uh, greatly enjoyed the conversation and your all's insights as well. It's been fantastic. Yeah. I'd love to do this again soon myself. This is, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, with that, though, we will wrap it up. All right. 
Well, thanks for everybody for joining to the Point Podcast again. This was Travis Howerton, co-founder and CTO of C2 Labs, joining us today for a very insightful conversation. So thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. 